Hey guys, welcome to the Get Up and Do Something Uplift podcast series. With us today, we have Dr. Carly Pakanowski. Dr. Pakanowski is a registered dietitian and has her doctoral degree in human nutrition. She has worked with individuals who are obese and individuals with eating disorders, making her well-versed in the health ramifications of both sides of the weight spectrum. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Pakanowski about diets, our relationship with food, and how we can improve that relationship so that we can improve our health. Dr. Pakanowski, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for that great introduction. All right. So to begin, give us a little bit of background on how you became interested in this type of research. Okay. First, I'll just say it's, it's great to be here, and I'm really pleased and honored to be communicating with you guys about this topic. Um, that I find have found really interesting for the past decade plus. Um, so I'd say over 10 years ago, I was an undergraduate student at Penn State, which um, back in that those days won the number one party school of the U.S. <laughs> I know Delaware just got awarded that or something. but um, And I was a student in nutritional sciences. And I was really fascinated by nutrition loved learning everything. And the next step was typically to go on and become a registered dietitian based on the classes you take and then practice. Um, but I really wanted to know why and how we were making the recommendations that we were making to people about what they should eat and how we, how we collected that information. So I wanted more school. And so I chose to go straight into a PhD program after graduating with my bachelor's in nutritional sciences. And I went to Cornell and had an amazing experience obtaining my doctoral degree in um, human nutrition. And while I was there, I also completed the dietetic internship, which is part of the, um, the, the, what's required to become a registered dietitian. And I'll mention registered dietitians later and explain kind of more of what they are. Um, but my focus now is, is research. And so for my dissertation project, which was required to get my PhD, I studied um, a weight control strategy in obese and overweight adults over a two-year period. And what I found most interesting from doing this project was I did interviews with about 80 of the participants and learned how differently the same weight control strategy can impact different people. So the, the weight control strategy that we were investigating was daily self-weighing. And there's a lot of research and theory behind why some people think this may work for, to help people control their body weight. Um, the idea is if people see their weight every day, they can notice trends over time, like if it's going up or if it's going down. And it kind of comes from a biofeedback type mindset, like biofeedback is typically used with like blood pressure and things. So if someone can see when they're getting more upset and kind of control their physiological reactions. So we did this study with daily self-weighing and I talked to people for whom the um, daily self-weighing approach and looking at the, their trends and their weight was really helpful. And they were able to engage in healthy behaviors that helped them to lose a small amount of weight and keep it off. But on the other hand, there were also individuals in the study for whom it was really upsetting to see their weight every day. And it just did not, did not um, benefit them in a 
healthy way. And so I became more interested in these, these approaches that we use for weight control when we're, when we're disseminating them to a large group of people or to a population level, who, who's helped and who's harmed. So I went on after getting my doctorate to the University of Minnesota School of Public Health and did some postdoctoral research on a fellowship there, um, working on both obesity prevention studies and more of the self-weighing research and also getting involved with some other um, colleagues and mentors who study more of the disordered eating, eating disorder side, because I really wanted to learn more about how could we assess and really find out what types of qualities might make certain strategies not work for some people and how can we protect them? Because eating disorders are extremely serious mental health illnesses and they take more lives than smoking or the mortality rates are extremely high. Well, I didn't know that. Sorry. <laughs> I, I misspoke. Not they take more lives overall than smoking. The mortality rate right. is, okay. is higher. The mortal the likelihood of death is higher. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting point you brought up about how one program will work for one person and then mm -hmm. how another program will work for, won't work for another person. Um, and I think that just goes back to finding what works for each individual. And that's it's much more complex, the issues that we're dealing with here. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just to expand on that. The reason why I'm still interested in daily self-weighing is because self-weighing itself is not the strategy that helps people to control their weight. It's just feedback on what strategies they're using. And in one of the first um, studies using daily self-weighing as a prevention, weight gain prevention method, actually in college freshmen, one of the findings was that the researchers um, noticed that there were as many strategies for preventing weight gain as there were participants in the study. So some people relied on exercise. Some people said, I'm going to, you know, pass on desserts this week because I noticed my weight was going up. Some people, um, there were all different types of approaches. Yeah. So switching gears just a little bit, why, I feel like you can't even go to the grocery store without being inundated with things like headlines, such as eat this to lose weight and flat abs fast, and the best diet for weight loss. And now we have social media with that added component with, you know, the Fitspo and the Thinspo accounts and so-called nutrition coaches advocating for certain type of diets. Why are so people focused on diet and weight loss and bikini season preparation? Why is food the panacea for almost everything? So I think you're exactly right when you say inundated, because we really can't it's very difficult to survive in the world and not see the types of things you're talking about. Um, it makes sense culturally because, and I like how you titled this podcast diet culture because dieting has really become a culture. And in that word culture, there's cult <laughs> and some of, some of the following seem almost cultish. And um, I think our obsession with looks there's a lot of talk about the, in the eating disorder, disordered eating literature about the thin ideal and how we're socialized, uh, especially as women. Men are also susceptible to these uh, problematic 
behaviors, but we're socialized to believe that being thin is associated with wealth, good things, and, and there's happiness. Happiness. You know, I'll be thinner and I'll be happier. Exactly. Five pounds, ten pounds, I'll be happier. And exactly. Then they- and weight discrimination is actually a real thing too, and that's because culturally we've created this belief that thin is better. It didn't always exist. I mean, if you look back to times of the Renaissance, um, more curvaceous bodies were seen as um, better because they were more able to reproduce. And the focus was on reproduction and fertility. It's interesting. It makes you think about what it's going to be a couple hundred years from now. Like what's going to be the next ideal because it changes. Mm -hmm. It does change. And I think it's important for people to realize that even with fad diets, there are cycles and things, things change. It's not always going to be how it is now. I can remember in the eighties, it was all about low fat. And then in the nineties, it was low carb and now it's different. It's just always something else. So you mentioned fad diets. What are they and do they even work? Well, I defining a term like fad diet is difficult. So I, I went to Wikipedia because even though we wouldn't cite Wikipedia articles for research papers or something like that, I think it's interesting to know because it's a publicly public domain and anyone can contribute. So they said a fad diet or diet cult is a diet that promises weight loss or other health advantages such as longer life and usually relies on pseudoscience rather than science to make many of its claims. And I'd agree with that. Um, Fad diets usually promise quick weight loss with minimal effort. And I think they do work in the short term. Mm. So... Um, everyone, especially with our rates of overweight and obesity and our thin ideal is looking to lose weight, modify their body in some way. And these fad diets offer something that they're seeking a magic bullet to change weight or shape. The problem is they don't work long-term. They may work for a week or two weeks, but Unless individuals make a lifestyle change, they're not, this isn't, they're not, fad diets are not sustainable. They can also be potentially dangerous. Um, And I think it's also important in Wikipedia's definition here that fad diets rely on pseudoscience. So I'll mention, and I mentioned before, registered dietitians are the trained and educated professionals to give advice and evidence-based information about nutrition and um, nutrition and health. And they are best to direct the type of questions to. There's a lot of benefit to the internet and this information age, but one of the drawbacks is anyone can say anything they want. So I also think nutrition is a really interesting field because All of us have a relationship with food and our body weight, every single person. Whereas if you think about a field like aerospace engineering, I'm not going to say anything about that because I barely know what it is. Um, But everyone has something to say about nutrition because they've lived, they've eaten, they have certain cultural upbringing, they have parents who have instilled certain types of ways of thinking about food and body weight in them. 
Um, so anyone can say anything they want. And it's really important to be a critical consumer of that information online, especially with these fad diets. That's an amazing point. I actually had this discussion with someone the other day um, about a book that they were reading. And she was telling me that the book was saying that the reason so many people turn to fad diets in the United States is because America doesn't actually have a cultural cuisine like so many countries do. We don't have a stable food tradition. And then people turn to these diets as a way of eating. You know, you think of the American diet, the first thing you think of is, you know, McDonald's, burgers, French fries. Um, it's just an interesting point that, you know, it's it's different. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's a very interesting perspective and hypothesis about why so many Americans are drawn to fad diets. But I also think, when I think about fad diets, I'm usually thinking about people participating in them or doing them be with the objective of weight loss. Mm -hmm. And I think other types of cuisine, when I think about um, eating in Italy or a different European country or an Asian country, the cuisine isn't specifically targeted to do something with our body. It's enjoyment, it's symbolism of traditions, culture, socialization. Um, and I think it's really easy when we focus so much on nutrition and how it can, how we think it can impact how we look that we lose those, those aspects that are really important and that were the purpose of food throughout the ages. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough subject <laughs> to bring up, but um, going back to the fad diets, how do we know whether a diet is good or faddish or even potentially dangerous? This is a really good question. And I think um, I'm going to I brainstorm three red flags. So they're just kind of top of my head red flags. And I'm sure there are other lists with like 10 red flags, blah, blah, blah. But I also think it's important to make the point that fad diets in the diet industry are fueled by consumer demand. So it's the diet industry and these fad diets are multi-million dollar enterprises. And the reason they can keep going is because people are buying into them. Even purchasing the bars associated with a certain diet or purchasing some of their foods, that keeps them going. So our audience here and you guys can make a difference by choosing not to purchase the products associated with these fat diets. That's how we can change things. And I think it's, it's really important to think about and to be a critical consumer when you're purchasing foods. Um, and what I mean by that is really think about where the person or product is coming from. Is the source of this whole program product one person and one person's experience? If so, what's that person's background? Do they even have training in nutrition? Have they developed a cultish following and people are just listening to them? What is their motivation for getting you to follow their plan? A lot are trying to make money. So I, I think that's one thing, the source. Where is this diet or this diet idea coming from? one person and it worked well for them, well, that's great. But as we discussed before, everyone's so different and we need to keep our individual needs in mind. Second, is the diet or product 
or plan asking you to commit to buying something, um, investing in their product or supplement, and do you have to make a commitment that you're going to keep buying over a long period of time? Major red flag. Third, do they make big promises to you, like lose X number of pounds in 30 days or one week? Promises that we know from a health and nutrition standpoint are physiologically could be possible but are not sustainable. So I'd say those three things. Really be critical and think about the motives behind the products you're buying. Are they making promises that aren't realistic and are they taking your money? I feel like the big promises is the one that really gets people though because people want that quick fix. They want to lose X amount of pounds and X amount of days for that big event or even just, you know, to look better, feel better, whatever it is, but they don't want the work to get there. Mm -hmm. So I think the big promises, the bigger the promise, maybe even the more likely that they'll try that. You're right. Everyone's looking for a magic bullet like one thing that's going to cause them to lose weight. The problem is that doesn't exist. It's a combination of eating, activity, lifestyle, and anything that <clears throat> results in quick weight loss, the weight is going to be regained. So we talked a bit about diet culture earlier. Do you think that the diet culture has played a role in the obesity epidemic? Or even individuals being overweight. I think we all know, you know, that one person that's always on a diet and always trying to lose weight. And do you think the diet culture has played a role in that? Absolutely. And as I just mentioned, um, and there's scientific evidence to back this up, when people lose weight, typically they gain it back. We weight loss programs are not over time successful. We have rates of obesity and overweight in this country that we've not had before. And what has increased is the number of diet opportunities, fad diets, people going on diets. Um, if you Google the word diet, you get 800 million results. And I also came across um, a really interesting and I thought useful Huffington Post article that talked about how the diet industry contributes to oppression of women by promoting and perpetuating things like this thin ideal. And they also cited that Americans spend upwards of $60 billion annually on diet and weight loss products. And that's enough to fund Planned Parenthood 60 times over. <laughs> so that to me is really upsetting. We're putting so much money into these false promises for weight loss or quick fix. Um, it's almost, and, and I mean, it does work. I can't say that I've never been tricked by a claim or something like sure. that. It's marketing and marketing works on all of us because it's designed to. I mean, it'd be lovely if it works, but it just doesn't. And it doesn't work that way. You know, it, when you were talking, it was, it's like a cycle. So, you know, that somebody's not, or a woman, a woman, or even a male feels like they're not up to the standards of, you know, what society says you should look like. So they turn to these fad diets, these quick fixes. It doesn't last. They fall back, you know, they gain the weight back and, you know, they lose it quick or, you know, and then gain it back within a couple months. And then they're even more discouraged. And then they turn to another diet and this keeps on going and going and going. 
Yeah, you're referring to that cycle of yo-yo dieting. Mm. And um, there are theories from even back in the 1980s, which actually I think is when the rates of obesity really started to climb. Theories uh, from researchers suggesting that restriction or any type of um, not allowing yourself to have certain foods or for the purpose of weight control leads to overeating and binge eating because you've restricted yourself and then contributes to weight gain and then contributes to, again, restriction, which is basically what you just described with um, the diet. So shying away from the fad diets, let's talk about some truth. What are some lies and misconceptions and fabrications of the truth that we have been told about nutrition? There are so many out there. And I think truth is an important word because what is, is there one truth about nutrition and diet or are there many? And is what's true for one person true for another person? As we discussed before, there could be as many strategies for health and well-being as there are people. So how do we define one, one truth? But I think if I were to focus on the biggest pervasive kind of misconception about body weight and nutrition, it would be that weight control is an individual's responsibility. So... We think if we think about weight control within a very small mindset of things you eat and activity, we would think about one individual person. But we now know with more research and more time that society and the community, everything contributes to an individual's kind of food environment. So if we think of a child and what the child's eating in their activity level, that could very well explain maybe their weight. But if you look more broadly and you consider the child's parents, what are the parents providing for the child to eat? What options does the child have? Because the child's not in control of um, what types of food are available in the household. And then you think about the parents. We don't want to blame the parents either. What type of foods are available to the parents in that community? Do they have access to fresh foods, fruits and vegetables? Do they have the means to afford fresh fruits and vegetables? Or is the community not providing access to these things? And then we can think about the larger community because we have communities that are quote unquote food deserts and don't have um, places to play or exercise and access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And this ultimately we can think most broadly about society and what kind of things are we, are we promoting here when people have inequitable access to the things that make them healthy and live a, you know, long life. It's extremely complex, a lot more complex than you would think. Mm -hmm. So we can't look at one person and say, Oh, it's their fault. It's a very complex system, and there are layers to it that we really need to change things at the policy level if we want to help individuals lead the healthiest lives they can. Right. So let's say an individual does want to clean up their diet or just start eating healthier and stop these fad diets. Where do you find reliable sources of information that's evidence-based and based on science and not what celebrities or, you know, the TV or Instagram influencers advocate. 
That's a good question and something I really want to hit home to all the listeners. There are qualified professionals with credentials to talk about nutrition, and they are registered dietitians, RDs, or registered dietitian nutritionists, RDNs. And what this degree signifies is that this person went to school for four years, took all of the science and nutrition requirements, and there are a lot of them, I mean chemistry, biochemistry, organic chemistry, metabolism of macronutrients, metabolism of micronutrients, nutrition communications, nutrition education, community nutrition, counseling. I could Everything. Go on and, yeah, that, but this person has graduated from an accredited university. They're accredited nationally um, that provides those courses. They've taken all the requirements and then they've applied to an internship where they've completed a set number of hours training with other registered dietitians, and then they pass an exam, making sure that they are qualified to be give expert um, information in this field. So really, for anyone listening, the best piece of advice I could give you is to, if you really do have, you do want to change your diet and be more healthy, someone who can help you weed through all of this like garbage with the celebrity diets and, and magazines and Instagram would be a registered dietitian nutritionist. There's so much information out there. We all can't be experts in everything. And it's just like in my role, I can't be an expert in statistics. So I work with statisticians. My area is weight control and weight control behaviors. And I'll stick to that. But it's important to reach out just like you would to a medical doctor if you had, you know, some kind of illness and you didn't know what was going on. Go to the professionals. I think that's where it gets a little sticky, too, because there are people out there claiming to be these nutrition coaches where it's just, you know, maybe a little online certification where they take a quiz and then, oh, well, look, I'm a nutrition coach. You know, I can tell you how to eat. But the registered dietitians are the ones you really want to look out for. Yes. Either RD or RDN. And those two credentials are uh, people cannot use them if they haven't had the training. And the also the the professional organization for registered dietitians, registered dietitian nutritionists is called the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics. And they also have a very user-friendly website with lots of, um, I was skimming it this morning, lots of user-friendly articles. Um, I think I saw tips for eating out, um, tips for not being so concerned about body, how to talk to your kids about food and weight. And so they're really um, addressing public need in that way. And they're a very credible organization. Now, I'll make sure to link that That in the description box for our listeners. It's just eatright.org. When buying food, what are some tips to help us make better nutritional choices when going to the grocery store or eating out? My first impression here would be go back to the basics. Like you can't go wrong with fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean meats. But I also don't want that to sound like an endorsement for this quote-unquote clean eating. Anything that's obsessive is not going to work in society. So I, I do think 
making better nutritional choices, thinking about what am I getting in my diet versus what maybe am I not getting? Because the, uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics really promotes and supports a total diet approach, which means including fruits, vegetables, lean meats, whole grains, some sugars and added fats because, you know, we all, food is also enjoyment. So I got to live. Yeah. You got to, do we, yes. Um, and so I, for most people, I think that's going to be, how can I work more fruits and vegetables into my diet? But not for everyone. Some people already are eating tons of fruits and vegetables. Hmm. You, you know, you mentioned clean eating and that made me chuckle because what, what even is that? Because it's not really a term because, I mean, if you think about it, and I, I know some people went to one group, so to one fad diet, clean eating would be this food and then this food and then this food. And it's a great point that you made about clean eating is that you don't want to fall into that hole because it's not really even a term, is it, right? Because, um, like, I mean, it really there's no in the set definition because there's so many definitions for it. I guess sure. that's what I'm trying to say. In the research community, it's not a thing mm. because it's. I think of it as a fat diet, to be honest. And I think years ago and somewhat now, still, there was a term called orthorexia, which is used to d- talk about. It's not a. It's not a clinical term, but talk about people who are kind of obsessed with the perfect nutrition and optimal health. And I think clean eating has kind of gotten meddled in with there, with um, orthorexia. I was on a panel about eating disorders back in January, and two clinicians were on the panel with me. And one of them who specializes in eating disorders remarked that she is not at all, she's also a registered dietitian, not at all a fan of clean eating. She thinks that it can be a marker for disordered eating represent obsessionality with food. Um, and yeah, so I'd like to get that out there. Another, just, I I do not know much about clean eating, but to me, the term is just kind of ridiculous in itself because for example, on fruits and vegetables, there are naturally occurring like microbes that can help us get essential nutrients like B12. And so if your food is completely clean and you strip all those microbes off of there, I mean, how are you going to get all the vitamins and nutrients that your body needs? Right. And for those people who are overly preoccupied with food and eating, what advice would you give to them? Yeah. So I think this is a very important group to target and concerns with food and eating are highly prevalent in young adults. That's actually my the, the population on which I focus in my research is about 18 to 30. And I would say if, if it's really food is really occupying your mind, food and exercise, and you're thinking about it in a, in a way that you're worrying about it, you're not enjoying it, I would really seek a mental health professional or psychologist um, sooner rather than later. Because one thing we do know about disordered eating and over concern with shape and weight is that it gets, it can get progressively worse with time. And the longer that the individual is struggling with these issues, the harder it is 
to help them come back from that. And so I would, I would recommend, uh, you know, if you're at a college campus, University Health Services has psychologists usually who specialize in disordered eating, eating disorders, and can direct you to other resources or a support group or seeing a psychologist outpatient um, or mental health provider available within your community. They even have some at free clinics in various locations. So really just seek a professional. Yeah, professional. And I would say for that type of the psychological, the more psychological aspect of thinking about food and eating an obsession with controlling body weight or trying to change things about your shape, I would say look for a psychologist or mental health professional. Okay. And I, I think we touched upon this earlier, but um, I'd like to go over it again. I think the question that we all want to ask is, what does a healthy diet actually look like? It's a really another good question. Big question. <laughs> These questions are big and important and very good. So for that, I'm going to go back to the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the professional organization for registered dietitians. And they wrote a position statement Um, not too long ago, saying that they support the total diet approach, which means all foods can fit in moderation. So they're not, like I said, going back to earlier, if a fad diet tells you to exclude or buy something in particular or exclude something, that's a major red flag. So the, the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics say, if you consume things in moderation, and use appropriate portion sizes and are engaging in appropriate physical activity, all foods can fit. That doesn't mean a pizza and a gallon of ice cream, but it means that we can use discretion and enjoy food as it's meant to be enjoyed for special occasions or celebrations while having a healthy lifestyle. And I think another point that the Academy makes that's important for listeners is that eating practices and behaviors are so complex. We've used the word complex a lot, but really with this topic, think about everything that influences what you decide to eat for a meal. I mean, there's taste and food preferences. There's weight concerns, which we've discussed a lot today. There's individual physiology, how hungry or not hungry you are. There's time and convenience, you know, busy schedules, needing something quick on the go. There's the the food environment, what's actually provided within your living, working space. But then there's other environmental concerns. People are concerned with the environmental impact of certain foods, Um, economics, media marketing, culture, and attitudes and beliefs. And I don't think that list is even exhaustive. There's so many things that go into making a decision about what to eat. Again, complex. Mm -hmm. So let's give our listeners a little bit of homework as we wrap things up. What are three things we can do to improve our relationship with food so that we eat better and are less taken by fads and potions and hype? How about... Is it all right if I just give you one? Yeah, of course. Because I think less things to remember. We have so much information. On all one homework. Time. I like yeah. it. Yeah. One, one, homework. one piece of advice, I'd say, based on 
my training background, mentors, colleagues, thoughts about this area, something to think about is that all these fad diets and diet plans, when you're you're buying into them, you're looking outward. You're looking for someone else to give you a fix and to tell you what's best. And what that's really taking away from is our inward internal abilities to, to really know when we're hungry, when we're full, what we're hungry for, when we need to be active, when we need to stop being active. And so there's more of a, a resurgence in some of these in more intuitive styles of eating. And that doesn't mean, oh, I eat whatever I want whenever I want to, because that intuitive eating also requires being attentive to when you don't want food or aren't in the mood for something and saying, no, thank you. So I think looking inward, we've been eating as humans for many, many, many years (laughs) without these fad diets and we've been surviving and yes, society has changed and there's a plethora more of more food options available now. But instead of looking outside and engaging in this consumerism with all of the fad diets, why not look inside for both nutrition and physical activity? There's a University of Delaware shirt that I got from an event on campus that says, I think it says, find what moves you. And I really like that because it's like, find what works for you. And as we've been talking about, it's so individual. So what do you like to eat? What are you hungry for? And that's an important question. Are you even hungry or is there some emotional thing going on? That cycles back to what we said at the beginning about what works for one person might Mm -hmm. not work for another person. It's finding what works for you. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really great insight. And that wraps up today's podcast. Thank you, Dr. Pakanowski, for giving us some great pieces of information today. Thank you, guys. I'm happy to answer any follow-up questions. You can post my email. Excellent. Good luck tackling, you know, the diet culture out there, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Uplift podcast series. Come back again soon to getupanddosomething.org for more Uplift podcasts. We'll be covering many new and exciting topics with the experts to help you improve your health and well-being.